there's nothing personal about an awakening. It's not Fred's awakening. It's awakening to the fiction of Fred. Awareness, the final frontier. These are the explorations of Jonathan Robinson and Brian Tom O'Connor. Their continuing mission, to discover fresh new paths to the mystery within. To seek out new joys and new methods of awakening. To boldly go into the heart of expanded consciousness. This is Awareness Explorers. Welcome, welcome, fellow explorers. Uh, Brian often makes me laugh right at the beginning of our, our, our podcast, and he did a good job today. I'm Jonathan. I'm with my trusty co-host. Brian Tom O'Connor. And I am super excited, as I often am when I get to interview a uh, guest explorer. And this is an explorer who I have read, I think, every single thing he's ever written. Of course, he's written a lot, so it may be some new stuff. But let me say some things about Fred Davis. Fred Davis studied and practiced Eastern wisdom for 25 years prior to 2006, when seeking ended and true awakening commenced. He is the creator and editor of AwakeningClarityNow.com and the founder of The Living Method of Awakening. Fred is also the author of the non-dual bestsellers, The Book of Undoing, The Book of Unknowing, and The Book of Unveiling, plus Awaken Clarity and Awaken Now. He conducts both public and private sessions online via Skype and Zoom. His website is awakeningclaritynow.com. And he's a fun guy, a wise man, and we are very excited to have him on Awareness Explorers. Welcome, Fred. Thank you so much. Boy, it's great to be with you, both with, with both of you, I should say. So, Jonathan, I've, I've heard, I, well, I did a little research, and so I, I, I know something about, about you guys and what you do, and uh, it feels like you call the wrong number. But, <laughs> <laughs> but I'm here, so I'll talk. Good, it's good. Thing started than it is to shut it up. We want to pick your brain, uh, and you know, having read all your books and seen a lot of your videos on YouTube, certain questions arose, and I get a chance to ask you. And um, yeah. you said in 2006 uh, your seeking ended, and true awakening commenced. I'm wondering what happened at that time, and and how would you say your life experience changed? So let me go back. A little further than that, in mm-hmm. August 2006. The first awakening here occurred in 1992. It was totally, well, it wasn't, it was spontaneous, but I mean, I was, I was trying mightily. I didn't even know what I was doing, but I was doing, it turned out I was doing inquiry in my mm-hmm. basement, but I didn't know a name for it yet. And, um, and there was an awakening and it lasted all minutes. <laughs> <laughs> And then suddenly, ego came in and commandeered that awakening and went, wow, I finally got it. Is it now, now that I've seen that I am nothing, doesn't that really make me something? Ah, yes. <laughs> and um, so it was just, the, the awakening was just paved right over in no time. And I spent 
a decent part of the next 14 years trying to do what people are trying to do when they come to me, which is get back to that place. Yeah. Right? And in 2006, once I was, my life was full of misery and, um, in from a, a logistical sense and I was trying mightily to escape. And I'm, I'm you know, like, I want to have a loftier ideal for you, but I, I didn't. I was just suffering tremendously. Yeah. And under all of this duress, I was reading, uh, lots of books. And one morning I was reading a book by Ramesh Balsakar called Pointers from Nisargadatta. And he asked a question, and I can't remember it exactly, but it was basically, when everything else is gone, what's left? And for the first time ever, I'd seen that question. For the first time ever, I actually checked. <laughs> and when I did, I just started, okay, so the house goes, the world goes, the body goes, the this, that, that. And all of a sudden, I was like, this? <laughs> you not... You mean this, this? Right? And here's the funny thing is I'm not a chakra guy at all, but I just am giving him the report. And it felt like a little BB turned in the very top of my head, like it turned 180 degrees and, uh, I'm guessing unlocked. I, it, there was just a, a locking or unlocking sound in, to, to me. I don't know that anybody else in the room would have heard it. And then awake, I, I came to see who I really was. And which I noticed was exactly the opposite of what I always expected and craved, which was Fred Davis was very, very anxious to know the truth of God. But the truth of God woke up to the fiction of Fred Davis instead. Mm -hmm. So it was quite backwards. So how did that change your, I mean, first of all, did that experience last? That th this time, it it I've never completely unseen anything since the, the, the truth since that time. But I had had a lot of confusion, and particularly in the early years, I had a great deal of confusion uh -huh. because there would be identification with the body. So the seeking ended, but boy, re-identification did. Identification yeah. did. And when I say seeking ended, it was like because okay. Um, well, the other reason that seeking ended was that when I first woke up, I knew a great deal more than I do now. <laughs> so there was a lot of undoing that took place for a, a, for a, a few years. And the behavior here, I mean, the first thing I noticed when I woke up was that I was inhabiting a maniac. And so with this maniac on the loose, in my my awakening fantasies, I always thought that I thought Fred was going to wake up, and therefore I thought this body was going to start to behave and think rightly, properly. And that's just not what happened. I noticed that the body did what it did. The mind thought what it thought, and that it there was, but there was no, but I wasn't involved. It was none of my business. So I didn't get what I wanted, but I got something better, which was I didn't get a free Fred. I got free from Fred. Mm -hmm. And with that, there was a, I would I spent about three years in heavy oscillation 
sense of being clear and then a sense of being cloudy, a sense of being clear, a sense of being cloudy. And the cloudy, I should say, was muddy. I was in deep identification, but I always knew. Still, I was in deep. I could see, but I, I couldn't feel my way out of that. So, and eventually, I called um, Scott Killaby, and he helped me. I, had, I, I was divesting myself of stories, as what, which is kind of what most of us do as we wake up. Mm-hmm. I was coming to see, divesting of meaning seeing through them. But I had one heavy story left, and Killaby, Scott Killaby helped me to get that out. And that was, and, and it was smooth sailing from then on. What was the um, story, the last heavy story that, that he helped you get? The, it was, the, the last story was that um, I had legal trouble back in the, um, back in the, eight, the 90s, no, 2000s. Yeah. So about, I got sober 20-something years ago, and um, I went and made a lot of amends when I did that. And when I made, and I was, if nothing, if not sincere. And so I really went and, and made my amends to people. And, you know, the, the book says we have to make them. It doesn't say anything about that they have to be accepted. And they weren't. And um, I ended up in jail. And uh, this was a very difficult situation um, to get used to. So it was about um, well, instead of going to jail, I went and um, to very uh, to heavy probation for a few years, and um, I couldn't stand that. I, I couldn't. I, I just couldn't stand. It felt like my life was over, and. Um, it was really, really, really bad. I, I wanted to die, which is not, I found out, is not, not particularly uncommon in our community. But my wife, Betsy, had already had a business partner of her, a long-term business partner, shoot himself in the head two years prior. And I was there to help clean up the detritus, so to speak. And I had seen what that had done to her, and I could I didn't have the right to do that. I just knew I didn't have the right to do that to her. So I hated my life, but I loved Betsy more than I hated my life. So, but I couldn't die. I couldn't kill myself. I, I mean, I at one point had it all arranged, but I flew it past her. And, and I knew that it was going to hit some resistance. But, you know, but she had just, the, the problem was that she was just too wise for me. I couldn't get around it. Because when I told her, I said, you know, I, I really just can't take this. I just, I've got to get out of this. And um, she said, well, why don't we just give everything a try and we'll keep this as an option? <laughs> How do you argue with that? <laughs> right? And it was like, uh, no, I'm just going to be difficult just for the fun of it. So I did. And, and of course, um, everything unfolded from there. But I woke up. Um, about, um, I woke up about, uh, less than two months after my hearing. Mm-hmm. And it was shortly thereafter that I had a real, something that really helped me a great deal, which was Betsy and I were driving in the car one night to Atlanta. And 
I was thinking about how this works that you know that that you can't not do what's done and there's no going back and then I realized for the first time that people who had because because I, I was you know trying to make myself a victim and that the people who had got me in this trouble said that it was other than me and the ones who had actually not accepted my amends I came to see that they, they had no other choice they did the only thing they could do but that's what that because the way I look at it is this moment here with you guys, this is the flowering of the inevitable. Right? Mm. And I saw, suddenly saw that, that, that if I was going to get off the hook, the only way I could do it was let everybody else off the hook too. Yeah. That it couldn't just be, if I was going to claim that everything happens as it does, I've got to give them the same, the, the, the same leeway. And I did. And that's kept me from bitterness and all kinds of rotten thinking, which made it much easier. Uh-huh. We haven't talked much about forgiveness on this podcast, but that is a time-tested method and seems to be important in some cases. Yeah. In my case, it was very important because I had to forgive me. Mm-hmm. And the only way I could do that was to reluctantly free them, and I don't really mean it was reluctant once I saw it, but it was a hell of a lot of reluctance up until that point. Yeah. And at that point, there was just there was just openness, is all I can say. It was, it was, it was like another awakening on us as I was driving. It was just seeing oh, there's a fresh leaf. There's only this, and this cannot be any other way than the way it is. That there's no comparison, there's no alternative, and that they too are the flowering, and they're all everything they do, all of that is the flowering of the inevitable. And there was, I didn't realize it at the time, but I think there was an unconscious decision made at that moment to to try to learn to cooperate with the inevitable. Mm -hmm. Uh, Not that it wasn't required. That was only required if I wanted to not be miserable. <laughs> right. Who wants yeah. to not be miserable? Yeah. That, yeah, right. Exactly. But it's funny how being miserable is, is very often uh, an impetus for us to, to seek the truth and for some people to, to find it. Yeah. It, it's, well, it's a trap. I should say it's tried and true. It's been a spirit, part of spirituality forever. And the other thing that, is along that same line that's also tried and true, which I, which I encourage very strongly, is confession. And I don't mean like, I just mean t- telling the truth to somebody about, mm-hmm. about your, about you, about your life, about, you know, where, how relativity has gone. Because what the, one of the first things I noticed upon awakening was that there was, uh, actually, nothing to talk about and I've been trying to for 15 years but I did at least notice that there was nothing to talk about but there was plenty to talk about in terms of relieving suffering and my own and everybody else's because there's no there's no separation there my suffering is your suffering your suffering is my suffering 
But it's such a, a, a fascinating paradox to me because we go into this wanting to end suffering and improve the life for the individual. And it sounds like you're describing awakening as a shift in identification from the individual to the universal. And yes. so, or, and I love when you, I love you, you, you talking about the unit, meaning the individual uh, body and mind. So it's a shift. So that's not really who you are. So is that really what awakening is all about? Oh, no. It's, it's, well, awakening is about that recognition. But the problem is, is that, well, I'm just going to say it this way, is that many awaken and few clear. Mm. Many people have that, that experience, or it may, may not be, a, you know, it doesn't have to be well, angels and trumpets. It's usually not angels and trumpets. It's usually just, oh, or something like that. I mean, I've been with hundreds of people as they woke up. I, I can speak from experience. And it doesn't have to be a big deal. It can be, but I wouldn't curse anybody with the big deal because the, the, mine was a bit, uh, was a bit storybook. And, um, it kept me confused for years because I thought that the throes of that initial awakening, the, and, the, and everything's fine and the body feels good and, you know, getting back down, see, identifying as the body. The body feels really good. And this is what seekers do, is that I'm just looking for bliss. But there's nothing personal about an awakening. As, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm speaking to the choir. I understand that. But there's nothing personal about an awakening. It's not Fred's awakening. It's awakening to the fiction of Fred. Because even see, even well advanced, my God, spiritual seekers, I hate to, to, to say it like this, but they have, there, there is a gap between, they, almost everybody ends up with the booby prize, which is that when people come to see me, I have to really talk to them to get them to be humble enough to have me teach them something they think they already know, which is that if there's a if there's a Bob that comes to an awakening session with Fred, then by the time you've gotten to me, I mean you've probably already gone through Rupert and Aja and everybody else, and you know you just get down to the bottom of the bucket and it's like, well, there's this guy, but I don't know if I'm desperate yet. It's kind of like me with AA. I don't know if I'm that bad yet. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so by the time that you get to me, uh, you, you know a lot. And, and, and that's the issue. Because everybody I work with, and just like you two, they're big brains in this, having this conversation right now. And there's big brains listening to this conversation. Nobody else calls me. It's not like I'm finicky about who I talk. Big brains call me. Little brains don't bother. And, I, and that sounds, well, I'm just going to say it like it is. I mean, it just the the smartest people is who that's that's who's drawn to this, um, because uh, it because it, it just is that way. And so the obstacle, from your point of view, of the people you talk to, and probably the people listening, is that their experience of knowing and ideas and concepts are in the way of the simplicity of simple awareness in this moment. 
Yes, once in a while. And actually, the first two people that came to Awakening while talking to me had never heard the word non-duality, um, didn't know anything about it, and it was just a, had no concepts whatsoever because it was just, I mean, they were both washed in the blood Christians, and we just were having a conversation, and I confess that I did move the conversation to that area, but um, but I think it was really because I'm a one-trick pony. That's what I do anyway. I can't spend any time with anybody without this falling out. Uh, but they were very easy to awaken because of that. And I will occasionally get somebody that's new. It'll almost always be a young person because young people understand the idea of, gee, I'm having trouble with trigonometry. Let me go get a coach. Let me go get somebody who can help me with my trigonometry. And they take a good look at non-duality and it's fascinating, but it's dizzying. And uh, most will just plow on, but a few will go, you know, I think this might be another area for a coach. And it, and, and the, and they come here and I don't have to unteach. Cause the reason my books are named undoing, unknowing and unveiling, because this is not a teaching. It's an unteaching. Mm-hmm. And I have, when people come to awakening sessions, it's, when I say when people come, the, the first thing is we start out probably backwards than, than some. Which is that when they come up on the screen, the same way that you did for you and Brian, is that when they come up on the screen, the only thing I can see is me. And it's almost like a surprise. This is, I swear it's like every time. Like a surprise. Well, what am I doing coming to this meeting, right? Uh-huh. I know I'm just as awake over there as I am over here. So I'm ju- and what I'm really saying is I know I'm just as much awakeness over there as I am here. Because that's something that I stress, is that awake and not awake, yeah, they're pointers, but they really sort of point in the wrong direction. Because uh, I'm awake, but she's not, or he's awake, but I'm not, or they're awake, but we're not. All of that is pointing right straight to a unit. And the the unit is not going to wake up. The, it's the I, I can wake up this water glass just as fast as I can wake up this unit, and that water glass would be just as clever as, or, or my my body would be no more clever than the water glass if I woke it up. It, this is a walking cadaver, right? It just is. It's a it's an animated cadaver, and it's it's the animation that we're talking about, not the cadaver. But we all think it's the cadaver, and we, we it's universal. Mm-hmm. So when people, when a Tom, when a when a Tom or a Bob comes to me, by the time they get to me, they already know that there's no Tom and no Bob. But the one who knows what they, this is what I call the bubble of self-reflection, and it's where everybody is when they come to me, is that well, I already know there's, you know, there are no, there's no Bob. And the, and the early part of an awakening session, I know that they're over there just putting up with me and wondering. When is he going to get to the good part? Mm-hmm. And but it's all good part. And because the one who knows there's no Tom is Tom, and that's the booby prize of non-duality. Uh-huh. It's only when awakeness comes to see that there's no Tom 
that the that we have what we call the shift or the awakening or whatever. And awakening is a misnomer, as you know, because really there's no awakening because, you know, you are awakeness, and I notice that you do not have the capacity for sleep. So, <laughs> how the hell do you how the hell do you wake, go about waking up awakeness? But what I do understand is that through that sack of conditioning, there's confusion, and through this sack of confusion, no, this sack <laughs> probably right. But through this sack of conditioning, there's there's just not that, there's not confusion of this. There's utter conviction, and I really think that it is utter conviction that plays perhaps the largest role. Because what do you mean by that? In, in, in awakening, in, the, in an awakening event, and I see, well, many people that are here listening don't know what I do. And one, what's made me stand out for the last eight years is that I've, you know, I've, I've backed up myself up to the wall and taken on all comers, which is, uh, if you want to wake up and you're not awake, you don't believe yourself to be awake, then call me next Thursday at three and I will wake you up before four thirty, probably before four. And it's predictable. It's reliable. It happens time after time after time after time. And well, I, uh, I, and I've had that experience with you. Yeah. What, and a lot of people nowadays, as opposed to twenty years ago, can experience with the right method some form of an awakening experience. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, and a lot of our listeners have had that experience. Yeah, sure. But very few people um, stay in awakeness. Yeah, because and and that's it is that many awaken but few clear. Clear is what I call coming to coming to a state of near conviction or a state of of acceptance of under because seeing yourself is the most important thing that can happen. But it's not, it's the ticket to the dance. It's not yeah. the dance itself. This is the dance itself, right? So what happens is that we've had, particularly with Western seekers, we've had awakening on our bucket list for a very long time. And then we, so I'm going to get an, an appointment with Fred Davis. And now that I have seen the truth, it's time to go climb Himalayas, right? Or swim the Amazon, or whatever my ne- whatever is next on my bucket list, mm-hmm. and that's a that's a really a precious little value. I mean, it's not of no value because to see yourself, it's going to be very difficult. Just like me in 1992, it's going to be very difficult for you to completely unsee that. You, consciously, you may unsee it, but it's you know, but you have seen it. It's not the individual is. The animating the presence over there has seen the truth of itself. Awakeness has come to see. Oh, look at this! I'm awakeness, and you—it's very difficult to completely unsee that. But if we don't follow up on an awakening event, then 
the, the likelihood is that we're just going to walk right through it. And it'll become, and I tell people this when I'm having an awakening session with them. And if you don't pursue this, it's going to probably, you're going to remember this the same way you would remember a nice LSD trip. Right? And I, oh, I met with Fred Davis. He was really something. He did it for me. He can do it for you. So what do you suggest for people who, um, who have had that initial experience and they want to clear, what can you say to them that might be helpful? So I would honestly, what I do say um, is that I ask them, I think one of the real miracles is that when we find a teacher that we can really hear. Because this teaching that I have is not for everybody, but it's for everybody that's drawn to it. And they can hear this. They can't hear, um, like I had a famous spiritual teacher's media person fly in and spend a weekend with me because they had been with him for years and they could see he was incredibly awake, but they just couldn't get it. Mm -hmm. They could not hear that level. And they came to me and boom, right? And one with me an hour. So to hear a teacher is an important thing. So I su suggest that if you want to dig a well, my recommendation is not to dig a series of shallow holes. It's not what I did. I went deep into, I touched on other teachings, of course. But I went, I woke up, when I woke up, it, it was after a, a period of unhealthy uh, <laughs> following of Eckhart Tolle. And from, from there, then there came a day when I just couldn't hear Eckhart anymore. Mm -hmm. And and what the what problem is that I knew he was telling the truth, but it's just so, and from that new place, it's just so indirect. It's like, you know, just say it. <laughs> <laughs> and when I reached that point, then I found myself following Ajashanti. Uh -huh. With Ajashanti a very long time, too. Uh, I've talked to him a few times. He didn't know me from Adam, but he was a, a, a really big influence um, that here. And while I was following Ajashanti, I was kind of dating Byron Katie. Um, and so I didn't really get become a, a Byron Katie follower, but I, but I found that her work, which had been a very limited value prior to Awakening, and it was uh -huh. a wonderful clearing tool. And I don't, I had lots and lots of people that, um, that I recommend. I mean, go to our website, get this. We had Adya and Byron Katie on the podcast before, and they're, yeah. as you know, both incredible. Yeah, right, exactly. And they helped me a great deal. Mm -hmm. So I have, I have not, you know, I've, and their pictures are up on a shelf right here in my room. Yeah. So it's, uh, I owe them a debt, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's something that, and, and Eckhart, my God, he was so patient. For, I mean, he never, I never met him. He didn't know he was being patient. But he patiently talked to me for years as I worked myself through a total fog because I had, I had been a Buddhist. Prior to that, uh -huh. and that's what I assumed that I was going to do. I quit. I quit all spiritual seeking deliberately for the one year that I got sober, because I wanted to go in uh, the same way that I would recommend people coming into this teaching, which is I went wanted to go into AA. I didn't want to go as a knower. 
because I had been to AA before as a knower, and what I had noticed was I didn't get sober. Hmm. So this time I said, okay, what if they're right? I mean, it's crazy, but what if they're right? So I went in there and um, I just took everything I knew and left it at the door. And I didn't want to, to practice Buddhist spirituality because I didn't want to fix what they had. Because what I knew was that I had fixed what they had before and I'd gotten drunk. So I just did AA the way that the AA guys said to do it. And, um, and with, with, full, with complete abandon. I mean, that's the reason I went to jail. Most would not have gone to jail. They would have had made these amends that put them in jeopardy. Mm. I mean, just, I, mean, I wouldn't even recommend anybody do it. So don't, I'm not recommending it now if you have to be alcoholic and in the steps. Do you think doing the 12 steps helped with your awakening, or did you see that as a slightly uh, a, a different track? I do see it as a different track, but I did see it, but I also see it as that it was. If you are a drunk, a hopeless drunk like I was, who finally gets, I mean, for long, for many, many years, uh, you know, I could tr- quit drinking anytime I wanted to. I just noticed I never wanted to. And when I got to the point where I wanted to and I couldn't, that's when I went to AA. And the if you go in there a drunk and you actually stop being a drunk, become a former drunk, if you will, that process that you go through, because the process is all about surrender. And I got my own views about that now, but it is a surrender process. And it was like an, it was like awakening light, like enlightenment light. It, there's a, there is a complete shift. It's a very important spiritual shift. It is in its own category. I don't know anything about, all I can tell you is I can report that for me at the time, I knew that I had had a spiritual experience. But even then I suspected that this ain't really it. Yeah. Because much of that was around, that was around getting your life back in order and the gratitude that comes from having been an outcast drunk to becoming a, a citizen. And so there's a lot that's very practical in that. So I would recommend it for anybody who's having a drink or drug problem. I can't tell you that it's going to work for you because it, uh, any kind of recovery method has pretty low odds. But I went at it with full abandon, and it did work for me, and it worked for my wife. She was mm-hmm. at her in AA. I passed her a note in an AA meeting one night, just like you would in grammar school. <laughs> <laughs> I love what you said about asking the question, what if they were right? And I, I find that that applies actually to non-dual teachings, because yeah. I don't think you have to believe a dogma. But if you ask the question, well, what if they were right? What if, and, and one of my favorite phrases of yours, what if it's true that there's only one thing going on? Right. Right. Have you tried What would that, that mean? Point? Yeah, 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 who, yeah. Who would I be if that were yeah. true? That's right. That's it. And I like to I've started a couple of videos often, with, which is with, okay, let's pretend, let's just pretend that I'm actually telling you the truth. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I know it's absurd, but uh-huh. I, I really don't have any great motivation for, for doing this other than to just 
try to help you suffer less. Because I don't think we ever look at that. We what we think is that when they say you are the when when they told me that I was the awake spice, then I went looking for the awake spice, right? Because I knew that they I didn't know exactly which awake space they were talking about, but I was very confident I knew what awake space they weren't talking about, which was this one. (laughs) (laughs) But I've since had people count how many awarenesses they can find, and it inevitably comes down to one, right? And it's and I can notice the same thing with space. This was a a world of objects for which space was what divided everything from everything else. And now, at least within oneness, the space is the glue that holds everything together. It doesn't separate anything. Oh, what a great analogy that is. Yeah, what a great redefinition of space, too. Yeah. I love that, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, and what you can do when to help people see that sometimes, and your your audience can try this, is I just have them notice whatever room you're in. So take a look around the room and look at all the objects in the room. Just glance at them. We're not talking about big stairs, and let that sit for a second, and then just go back over the very same space, the very same room, and Look about, and this time instead of focusing focusing on the objects, focus on the spice. And once they've done that, then I ask them, okay, so what I want you to do now is I want you to take all of that spice and I want you to turn it into jello. And they do, and I say, how many jellos do you have? Do you find? <laughs> <laughs> and it's a very good way of seeing because it is it is almost like seeing oneness, right? I mean, which I can't see itself, but it but it's it but it, it does bring about there's a visceral sense of experiencing the boundlessness of the space that you are. I love that technique. I, I uh, look forward to trying that. That's yeah, going to be fun. Very effective. So another great technique, which you may know, but if you don't, it'll be great for your listeners as well, is that you can look at an object in the room, any object, and then what I have them do is tell me what the object is and how far away it is from the bob body. And they will say, well, it's a base and it's uh, eight feet from the Bob body. And I said, okay. Now, I want you to look at the base and then I want you to just look at it. Don't just stare at it. Just look at the base and then I want you to tell me where the looker stops and the looked at begins. Just point that out for me. And what you discover is it just a single continuum? So this seeing that you can't draw a line, you come to see again viscerally that there's just one thing going on, and and space is the glue. It's not you know, and this is the thing about you know you and you can come to understand the paradoxes of space and time and all that 
more easily because, I mean, how far is my hand from the mug when there is just, when the space is the glue, it's the same thing. There's no such thing as distance. And that's the truth, is that distance is a hoax. And, you know, it's pretty effective. <laughs> and I'm not getting up my automobile, but I noticed that doing this helps you to bring about the actual experience. Because what I found out is that talking, sitting around and talking about enlightenment actually doesn't work very well. Mm -hmm. And if it did, millions of people would be awake who are not. And what actually works is not to tell somebody about it, and, and I could tell about my wonderful experience. Who cares? What about me? <laughs> so I actually take you there and show it to you. And, and just like with some of these things that we've done here. Mm -hmm. And there is that, and there is the experience of, oh, I'm not awake. I'm awakeness. And that changes everything. Now we're not looking at the unit anymore. I'm awakeness. What is that? I have no idea. <laughs> it's a code word that we both agree to so that we can come here and try to talk about that which we can't talk about. But we can say, you know, awakeness. And that's the, that's the, that's the, and that's the same thing as you, you know, that thing we can, like, you can't talk about, but it's like, you know, so, because if we awake and not awake, uh, I still use the terms, but they're tragically unskillful. Yeah, they kind of lead us down a wrong path in a certain way. Oh, they, make, they make a, a verb a noun. Thank you. The, uh, that was one of the first things I noticed when I woke up, is that, that I, I went, oh my God, I'm a verb and not a noun. Yeah. And what I had done, and I had listened to Eckhart for years, and for a moment there, there was, oh, Eckhart, why didn't you tell me? <laughs> and, um, right? And the, out of all those time I spent with you, why didn't you tell me? I thought about how Eckhart said over and over and over again how he spoke of being. See, but I was thinking X being, human being, animal being, some being. I took the verb that he was offering up and turned it into a very, very subtle noun. Yeah. And then went chasing that. The same way when they told me, well, Fred, you know, the the truth does not come and go. So I'll find out when they find it, right? It's I went looking for an object that doesn't come and go. Well, that's a, that can be a long journey, yeah. you know? Yeah. So what I've discovered is that spirituality Authentic spirituality works exactly 180 degrees away from the way we think it does. And it starts right out at the very beginning, which is that we expect the unit character to wake up. And it's awakeness that wakes up to the, to the emptiness of the unit character. Yeah. But that was my tip. I had been awake for, so to speak, for about five years. And the one, Evening, I was sitting in my six, six, six years, and one evening I was sitting in my seat and sitting in my, my chair in the living room, and I had a vision, and I won't go into it. Not that it's bad, it's just 
just a vision, who cares? The end result of the vision was that what I could see, there were people on my staircase that turned suddenly turned to violence. And the message that came just so loud and so clear was, oh my God, all the seekers, all, no, let me use the words that came. All of the pilgrims are dying on the way to God. And virtually nobody's making it. And all of it, and then crazy notion that came out of my head was, we, we know what, what we should do is, oh, I see, we need to wake them up first, not last. Uh-huh. The last doesn't come. Later doesn't come. I'm going to wake up soon. I've sat with, with dozens of seekers who have been just, I'm just missing that one little piece, right? And then, you know, but I, I've been following the path really, really stringently. And how long have you been following the path? Well, 40 years. Well, if you've been following a path for 40 years, are you sure that's a path? Because it looks like a wild goose chase to me. <laughs> so how do you take away that, that sense of future hope that keeps yeah. people on a hamster wheel? Well, when you enter into that agreement, when you come to an awakening session, Awakening sessions last nine, 90 minutes. And, and you're going to do it now. <laughs> you got, you got, you got three minutes, buddy. That's right. Yeah. You got, you got 90 minutes. How you doing so far? <laughs> <laughs> and it does, it puts pressure, you know, and that's what monasteries put great pressure on their monks, you know, where you got to work all the time. You don't get much to eat and do. You know, you got it when you're not working, you're going to be singing or something like that or meditating in Zen. Can you tell by how do you how do you tell in a session when someone's woken up? Do you tell by is it self-reported or you can tell by looking at them or is it just a six? Well, you can't. I can. All of the above. Uh huh. All of the above. It's most people will. I don't have to do any sort of pointing, but if I have to do pointing, I will say so. You notice that you, know, you probably heard the stories that the that the seeker doesn't wake up. You heard that? Yes, I am. And now you can begin to see that's true because there's something here that's waking up, but it's not Bob, is it? <laughs> and you come to see, oh. It's, it's, so it's not that you're awake and you've been failing to be awake until now. Is the fact that you've been awakeness all along, and you're just now noticing. And awakening session is what I consider. I'm, I'm not pushing awakening session. I'm just telling you what I do. And awakening sessions are, they are a place. It's a it's a very safe and comfortable place to tell yourself the truth. Because let's just let's face it, awakeness is in denial. That's what's happening. And I bet I have. If I, I don't have a folder, but if I did have a folder of, I mean, it would be this wide thick full of emails, next day emails, or even that same day emails from people who've gone through an awakening session and written me back and said, thank you for calling me on my shit. No. Yeah, we don't have that so much in the community, the, the non-dual community. It really is needed. It, you know, calling on our shit, seeing our blind spots, seeing the stuff we need to clear. Right. And uh, actually, I, I teach methods like that 
Oh, good. And they've helped me. And yeah. I wish that was more part of the 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 group of people trying to awake because I think it would accelerate everything. Oh, it certainly would. Listen, the, when somebody pays me for an awakening session, then that is I consider that to be my uh, my permission to do what they ask me to do. Yeah. And I will I will do that as sweetly and gently as possible. But if it takes me grabbing you by the shirt and shaking your ass, yeah. then that will happen too. And that that's the and it you know and I'm and and when it happens, I mean this unit goes nuts. I mean because it's just like who is this? What is this? But it's just that's because and it's not with the person. It's a whiteness. Becoming impatient with ego. Yeah. Yeah. The, it's just like, come on, right? <laughs> and, and it, and that does count. And it's, and it's the same thing with awakening sessions, you know, with, I mean, with clarities that with people that come after me with regular, uh, talks is that I will tell them, well, you know, I hate it, but I got to tell you the truth because I know it. And I, I don't think it's going to be what you want to hear, but I got to do that. You see, yeah, yeah. But are you talking about the truth about like their their habits in life, or about the the fact that they are looking for an object? I mean, about the truth in in relation to how they're looking at awakening and awakeness. Well, let me give you an example. Yeah, just just prior great. to you guys, I was in what I call a clarity session, which is a one hour session with no agenda. And with a um, with a guy in, in California who has really been through the mill. He's gone through or well, went through throat, throat cancer with him, and and now he's having other difficulties. And you know, and he had an operation as he was trying to get better from his throat cancer. He had to have this that. I mean, it's just really been on. It, it's like I sent him the book of Job, right? <laughs> Stephen Stephen Mitchell. Yeah, I love Stephen Mitchell, and uh, I sent that book to this guy. But anyway, just before we were talking here, and I said, you know, I know that you're sitting over there, you're in a lot of pain. And he is, and has been for going on two years, not there yet. But And I said, but you can't tell yourself, when well, you can, but it will just induce suffering. You, I know what the feeling is over there, which is, why me? Why me? Having all this pain and this and that and the other, I mean, for God's sake, this was not the plan. And then having, and I said, you know, the only response to that is, why not? Because in your mind, you get, this happened with me. It's all from my own experience. I had sciatica for years, terrible sciatica, and it, I mean, really bad. I couldn't stand for more than 15 minutes at a time, and I had a job that required me to stand. So I was just in agony while I was you know, as a bookseller going going to book sales and stuff. And sometimes I would actually go from table to table on my knees. And one day I was sitting around my kitchen table by myself, and I was sitting there thinking, "Why me?" And even though I know there's no me here, that was still the call of the day. Why, why here? And it came back, why not? And suddenly I realized, oh, hell, this is my job. See, 
I, in my mind, this was somebody else's job. My job was to be the comeback kid and, and, and build a life and do all this and, and be, you know, happy forever and all this stuff. It wasn't, it didn't include this shit. Well, that was my plan, but it wasn't the plan. Not that there's really a plan, but there's an unfolding inevitability. And part of that unfolding inevitability was the fact that the Fred unit was going to had bad, had chronic acute pain. And that was part of your daily experience. And I realized that somebody had to do it. It just, it's hard to recognize, but the world can't be other than the way it ha- is. And this is relativity. So there's a balancing. And, you know, what I thought was, well, damn, I think I paid my dues up to now, right? And, uh, I think I'm all paid up on the suffering part, but I was wrong. Because yeah. what I notice is, is so long as you resist suffering, there will be a trap door. You, just when you think, I can't take any more of this, there'll be a trap door. And it's like, the next thing I'm wishing for is the terrible experience I just was having a minute ago. It's like I had a friend of mine in Portland jumped off the bridge and broke both legs, right? When he hit that water and broke both legs, the only thing he wanted was the same miserable life he had when he was at the top of the bridge. And because he lived through it, and I know. So, recognizing that it, that I was not special, that I, was, that I wasn't the anointed one who was not supposed to have chronic acute pain, that I, in matter of fact, it was my job as a unit, not, not speaking from, uh, speaking from unitness in the sense that I could see that it was the Fred unit's job to suffer in this physical pain. And I have to tell you, it's not, I'm not, it's not trying to give out a magical recipe because it probably won't work for everybody, but it didn't, my sciatica did not go away, but it did, it was better because I just simply quit struggling against it. And my sciatica was, a, a lot of it was psychosomatic. And this, by the giving up of the fight, then that, just that giving up really helped, really made a difference. There was a, it was an appreciable difference in that five minute span, if you will, from the beginning of it. Yeah, Fred, I had a similar experience with back pain, so I know what you're talking about. And and, and really, it works on every level. You know, if you give up fighting your emotional pain, it changes. And See, I have a, I have a little different take on, on surrender than most people. I, I had a traditional view of surrender because I went through AA and all of that. And it was, you know, and I'm, I'm surrendered, I'm surrendered, I'm surrendered. But as I have, as time has gone now, I recognize that there's no one here to surrender to God. So that ain't going to happen. So what is it that actually happens when it feels like there's someone here who has surrendered to God? And what it, what the, that's really happening is that divinity is simply surrendering to relativity. Here it is. And there's, and I'm, it, there's just you stop resisting what is. You stop resisting what is because you recognize, well, I mean, there, there, this is it. Mm-hmm. This is it. And that me struggling against 
the with what this is, this is the the we could say that this present moment is sort of an outgrowth of of past moments if we'll just go there for the moment. And it can't not be. It just <laughs> right. I mean it just it just is. Because see, I was powerless before going to, but uh, well, I was powerful before I went to AA. And then AA taught me that I was powerless over alcohol. And then I learned that I was powerless over everything else, too. <laughs> and when I learned that lesson, then it was like, I'm powerless. I can't, I'm, I'm, no, I'm not in control here. I'm not running this thing. So, and I, what I noticed is actually, hell, I'm the unborn. I'm very deeply upset about a world I'm not even in, right? It, yeah. You get that? Yeah. And it was, yeah. right. So it was um, coming to, to coming to identify as the unborn and that, you know, we want to be careful because we'll build up a story around that too. Right. But it's still, it's a much lighter, freer story than the other one. Yeah. And you realize, well, I, I don't have any choice. Because I mean, what am I what am I playing at that I don't accept this? I've already accepted this. I've already accepted every single bit of it exactly as it is, or it wouldn't be here. Mm-hmm. So, and now this one is saying, "Well, I see your point, but <laughs> <laughs> but right? I have a, I have a problem with this particular That's right. thing." That's it. That's but it, it also still thinks yeah. it's the unit that has to do the accepting, as opposed to noticing that there's something else that's, right. that's already accepted. So noticing that because of what this does is this again, we were talking about, you know, why don't you stay away? Because awakening is not a one time deal that we have. And it's and it was what we all wanted was the one shot awakening. And then now, I mean, when I woke up um, the first um, the second time, I mean, I thought the first thing, the first words out of my mouth were egoic, even though just woke up, which was but it was just it was it was uh, um, it was just ignorance. But, you know, and, and it was like, well, Buddha never got here. That's what that's the first thing I thought. Uh, uh, uh. <laughs> uh-huh. Because, how good? There's nobody ever seen this, right? So, taking ourselves less seriously than that. I have a story. Uh, because this, this teaching, as Nizhudati would say, you know, that he would, he was, this is a guy that, that taught every day for 30 years, you know, without break. And, but at the same time, he would look at you, that was his actions, but he would look at you and say, you know, gurus come, gurus go. I noticed not much changes. <laughs> but I have a story just like he did. I have a story that this is an important teaching. And by and and that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. Although I realize it, that's only within relativity. That from the standpoint of the absolute, it, it, it's, it comes and goes. I mean, I just notice that it, it will it will not have that much impact. Yeah, having that light attitude really helps. Uh, we're we're getting short on time. I'm wondering if this is a good time. Uh, I know you have a guided meditation, yeah. and I often listen to your guided meditations and really enjoy them. 
Uh, would you be willing to treat our guests to that? You bet. And this, this, and this guided meditation will will present to you the very heart of this teaching. Try it. What if? What if it was? What if it helped? We can just sit in our chairs or in our beds or on our sofa. And just allow the body to relax just as much as it wants to. But if it doesn't want to relax, that's not a requirement either. Just be as you are. Now I want you to, we're going to use the body as an anchor. In the same way in this teaching, we use logic until we get to the point where we have to throw logic out the window. We use the unit to move beyond the unit. We use the brain to move beyond the brain. And in this instance, we're using, starting out using the body. And if you sit still, it's best if with your eyes closed. I think it's the easier, much easier. But just notice that there's an aliveness here. And what do I mean by that? I mean there's a sense of existence. There is a sense of being. I call this the sense of being meditation. So notice that there's a sense of being. Let's also notice that it's just a sense. I can't even honestly tell you that I am, because that's not the experience here. The experience is there's a sense of being. Only. And what you can notice is that you can feel it in the body. You can feel what's animating that cadaver. It may show up as a tingling. It's very usually very easy to notice in the hands. But once you begin to notice it, you'll notice it's very difficult to not notice it. If you're engaged. So this, it may show up as a tingling. It may show up as a vibration. There may be a purely energetic feel to it. But the sense of being 
is always here. There actually can't be a here in the absence of the sense of being. Now let's notice our eyes. Don't take your attention away from feeling that. I've found it that it's also that the sense of being can be noticed in the natural world. I notice it in in a cat purr. I notice that cicadas have exactly that same vibration. I've noticed it in numerous ways that don't come to me right now. But I can also tell you that it's the same rhythm as all Hear that, and that's the sense of being showing up as vibration. The Hindus tell us that that is the that that was the first divine sound. I cannot disagree with them. Notice that as you put attention on attention, because this is what we never do. We always use our attention to look out at the world. We use our attention to look out at the content of this arising. And this is putting, this is the practice of taking the same attention. and putting it on attention. And it may feel like this is my attention, but if you investigate, I don't think you'll be able to find an owner of attention. But the one thing that attention never does is it never pays attention to itself. So this is the turning of, of, of attention. We're using it, and it's going sort of behind itself. Because if you notice... Attention that you're looking to. And this looking tool is what you look for your socks, your keys. And this attention, I'm just going to suggest, 
I've never had anyone argue with me about this. That another word or definition, decent definition of attention would be focused awareness. So when you bring attention to rest upon awareness, the first thing attention notices is that attention has been looking for attention. Awareness has been looking for awareness. Oneness has been waiting on the other oneness. Notice now the body. Notice the, the tingling. Notice the electricity. However, it's playing out for you. Vibration. Look for it in your fingers and your hands, but I bet most of you can feel it over your entire bodies. And now what I would like you to do is notice that it doesn't stop at all. You put skin under an electron microscope. And it really becomes impossible to point out where skin ends and space begins. There is no hard line. Any good physicist can tell you this. So what I want you to do now is noticing that the sense of being is actually not confined to the body and actually doesn't have anything to do with the body other than to animate it. Try to find a boundary. Look for a boundary. Notice that your eyes are still open, but they're just seeing what? There's just a dark field. Are you other than this dark field? There is no separation of any kind anywhere. Thank you. Thank you. Well, uh, lovely. You yeah. take a moment to come back to Earth. Yes. You threw in everything, including the kitchen sink, into that one. I did. Well, I got one shot at your audience. So, <laughs> you know, it's, it's my, I threw out my best stuff. And yeah, I, yeah. And then everybody's always waiting for my best stuff, but I never hold it back. <laughs> all this stuff is my best stuff. It's all the best stuff. That's 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 the whole thing with this non-duality thing. <laughs> that is. That's right. What the that's old, all good stuff. The Zen monk who woke up and someone asked the butcher for his best cut of meat, and the butcher answered, 
every cut needs my best cut. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm so happy that our listeners got the best cut of Fred yeah. or, or of of uh, beingness, yeah, of awakeness. Fred. I call it Fredness. 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 There's no Fred here, but there's a lot there's of no Fred. Fred here. There's a lot of Fredness, right? And uh, um, well, Brianness and Jonathanness are, are are grateful. Yeah, I'm grateful to you for giving me this opportunity. Really, it's been wonderful. Yes, you have a way of putting things, Fredness, that uh, have been personally really helpful to me, and I just want you to know that. Thank you very much, John. What, like I used to say, just say it. That's what is happening here. It's, it's very direct to the point. Yeah. Yep. People want to find out about you. Your website's awakeningclaritynow.com. A lot of great stuff on your website and YouTube as well. Thank you. Yep. That's the. Just if you go to YouTube and so all you have to do is Google Fred Davis or Fred Davis spirituality, Fred Davis anything along those lines, you'll get a zillion hits. We have like seventy some odd episodes at awarenessexplorers.com, including lots of meditations from the likes of Fred Davis, Aja, Byron Katie, and all kinds of people. And uh you can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash awareness explorers. And uh, most important of all, keep exploring. Keep exploring. Thank you for listening to Awareness Explorers. To learn more, you can check out our website at awarenessexplorers.com. Please subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast app. We'd love it if you would post a review. And please share our link on Facebook and with family and friends. Because knowing yourself as awareness is the greatest gift you can give yourself or someone you love.